please grab your Bibles, grab your Bible app, and turn with me to Matthew 6. Again, we're going to be reading from Matthew 6 this morning, and we're going to be reading from the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to be starting in verse 19, Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your lamp is healthy, your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly fathers knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thanks, Lucas. Uh, We appreciate those prayers, and I know many of you often are commenting to us that you are praying for us, you're praying for our governing authorities. That's wonderful. We need that so much. And again, just to say a quick word about that survey that we sent out on Friday. Honestly, we really need you to fill this out. Maybe you're saying, I have no interest in being part uh, of a live service of under 50. We're not just looking for people to talk about that. We're also looking for people to fill it out who say, I am only interested to stay at home. We really need to have a sense of where our people are at, what is it that you're, you're thinking about, how you're feeling about things right now. You know as well as we do, this is a wide spectrum of feelings across the board in society and in our church. So we really want to be wise in how we go forward. So can I ask you to make sure that you please fill out that survey, uh, regardless of how you feel about it. We would love to be able to hear from you. There's even a little comment section. You can give us any of your extra comments, maybe that you have not heard. If you're not with us last Sunday, uh, we kind of sketched out for you a basic outline, a three-prong outline for what we're hoping to do in fall. There are three major options for gathering together as we move forward over this whole next year. I'm not going to go over it all again right now. It is all in the email. You can check it out. So again, if you did not receive that email, just be in touch with our church office. We will make sure uh, that we send it to you and you'll hear more about it in the weeks to come. So thank you so much if you've already filled it out. And I look forward to seeing some of these results. Very interesting days we are in. Today is part three of three in our Overcoming Anxiety series. 
Uh, if you've missed the last two, two weeks ago I referred to a documentary that I once watched on the CBC, and the documentary was entitled Age of Anxiety. And the entire purpose of this documentary was to talk about this age in which we're living and how anxiety is one of the chief markers of life in this modern, fast-paced, urban culture that we are really all a part of. The documentary also wanted to make a distinction between clinical anxiety disorders and just the normal anxieties that we faced. And what it was arguing is that the number of clinical anxiety disorders is just absolutely increasing in our society. Now, it said part of the reason for this is the controversial and ever-broadening definition of what is actually an anxiety disorder. That's part of the problem. But on the whole other side of it, the documentary is saying every single one of us are facing increased anxiety. It's part of this modern age. It's part of this fast-paced culture in which we live where we're all connected. Everything that we get with our great technology has other implications as well. And so the CBC is saying we are living in an age of anxiety. I think we all know that. And then COVID came. All that normal anxiety that we would face, it's like it's just all ramped up. It's just been elevated even further. And so, as you well know, I'm sure you've read many articles on this, uh, there, there is a price to shutting down our society and saving lives. So, as good as all that is, it comes at a cost on the other side. And there are all kinds of social implications now that are coming as a result of largely shutting down our society. Some of the major things to do with that are things like suicides are increasing, overdoses are really increasing, and just the general anxiety and stress of society has been elevated during COVID. Domestic abuse is another thing that has greatly increased during COVID. So there are major social implications that are coming with this entire new way, this new normal that we are all living in. And one of the major issues in all this is anxiety. Even more specifically, anxiety over material needs. That's specifically what Jesus is getting at in our passage today. Anxiety across the board, but anxiety over material needs. So, of course, many people have lost their jobs. People are not sure how the, if their jobs are going to continue. There's a lot of anxiety around our material needs. The CBC made this interesting comment. They said that the, uh, in the documentary that by the age of 32, 50% of the population may qualify for an anxiety disorder. That, that just shows something about this age that we live in. And of course, drug companies know this better than anyone. Uh, they spend fortunes marketing to doctors and to the general population. And so the documentary went on to say, quote, Canada is bathing itself in prescribed drugs. The prevalence of anxiety within our culture is what makes Jesus' words so relevant for us. This, we could not be on a, more, uh, a topic that is more in tune with where we are at right now than this whole subject and Jesus' words on anxiety. And of course, Jesus' words have something to say to people with clinical anxiety disorders, but again, his primary thing that he's getting at here is a specific type of anxiety, and that is anxiety over material needs. So it's everything uh, about getting a job. Uh, it's everything about keeping your job. It's, it's about paying the rent. It's about trying to afford a house. It's about trying to figure out how you're going to make it financially when 
the second baby comes, the third baby comes. It's about how you're going to pay for university, and it's about retirement and how you're going to survive and meet your material needs when you reach that stage of life. In this passage, though, Jesus speaks to us about what causes anxiety, and then he really tells us what the cure is for that. So two weeks ago, we looked at verses 19 to 24. That's the causes. Then in verses 25 to 34, Jesus gives us the cures. And I said to you, it's kind of a twofold cure. Jesus says if you want to be cured of your anxiety over material needs, then you need to redirect your attention and redirect your ambitions. So today we are on the last part where Jesus' main point is you need to redirect your ambitions. If you want to be free of the anxieties of all these material things that you're facing and all the struggles to do with finances and jobs and rent and mortgages, Jesus says, redirect your ambitions. So I want to do three things as we look through this passage today, praying that Jesus, our good master, would take some of that burden which COVID has placed on us, which just general life places on us, and Jesus would lift that burden of anxiety from our hearts. So here's the three things I want to do. First of all, I just want to dig into Jesus' thesis. That is his main point. What is he really saying? Then in the second place, I want to talk about three reasons he gives us for why we should follow his main point. We're not totally convinced. We hear what he says about not worrying, but we need some convincing, and he has some great reasons why we should follow what he says. And then finally, I want to talk about three areas where you and I can be ambitious in life where we can redirect our ambitions to good things. So, Jesus' thesis, three reasons to follow it, and three ambitions in life. Let's dig into the text. Let's first of all begin by looking at Jesus' thesis. And what I mean by a thesis is his main point, the main thing he is driving at. And his thesis is simply this. Your anxiety about, or your and my anxiety about material needs will be cured when you redirect, this is the key thing here, redirect your ambitions from obsessing about them, all the material things, to obsessing about living for Christ. We we need to make a shift here. We need to redirect our ambitions from all of our ambitions about material things and trying to get it all and make our lives comfortable, redirect it from that to what it means to live for Christ. So let's just unpack all of this, because there's a lot in, I think, what Jesus is saying. And I want us to get his main point so clear in our minds. So notice, first of all, that he's talking about ambitions. That's the thing that we're talking about here. So let's talk about ambition for a moment. I want you to notice in the first place that Jesus assumes something. Jesus assumes that all human beings are wired for ambition. We're like hardwired. That is part of our human nature is we are ambitious. We want to move forward. We want to strive for things. Look at verse 32. This is what he says. The Gentiles seek after, this is the key verb, the Gentiles seek after all these things. That is all the material things Jesus has been talking about earlier. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, maybe you have a New International Version. It might say, instead of Gentiles, it might say pagans. Uh, Gentiles, pagans, it all just means the same thing. It's neither a positive statement nor a negative one. It's just a statement. It refers to the non-Jewish world. To anyone in Jesus' day who would not be following the God of the Old Testament, and if you want to extrapolate to our day, it would just be saying, those people who say, I am not a Christian. Anyone who says that. Jesus is saying that the non-Christian world 
is ambitious about something. That all people in this world are striving and they're seeking after something. They're seeking after material things. Now, just notice this little verb, seek. This is the key to it. This word seek is the verb which Jesus is describing all people do. To seek means to be on an unceasing quest for something. You're always looking for it. To seek means to be devoted to that thing. In fact, it means to be obsessed about it. It consumes your mind. It consumes your thinking. You're setting your whole heart on it, and you're pursuing it with all of your might. In other words, it means to be ambitious. Now, I want you to note very carefully that Jesus does not say that once you become a Christian, you should get rid of all ambition in your life because, you know, that's how the world does it, uh, but that's not how Jesus' followers do it. No, actually, Jesus says the opposite. Jesus assumes that we are all hardwired for ambition, and then he calls us to redirect it in verse 33 where he says the exact words. He says that we are to seek after the kingdom of God. We're to seek first. So it's the same word. The Gentiles seek after all these things, and in verse 33, Christians are to seek after the kingdom of God. So in other words, this word seek goes two ways. It can be for the whole non-Christian world, and it can be for Christian. Jesus assumes that all of us are seeking. We're all obsessed with something. So Jesus is not trying to destroy your ambition. Jesus assumes that you and I are hardwired for ambition, See, to be a human being is not to be like plankton or seaweed that just kind of floats out in the ocean. Wherever the tides go, we just kind of go with it. Uh, We go this way or that way. That's not what it means to be human. We know that to be human means to be ambitious. We strive for things. We have goals. I mean, no one sits there, you know, when they're young and says, you know, when I grew up, I just, all I want to do is sit in a chair and breathe all day. That's my great ambition for life. Now, at times in my life, that's Literally, what I want to do is just sit in my chair and breathe for a day. But that's not, if you just did that every day, that would, you would just be going crazy, absolutely crazy. All of us, to be human is to be hardwired for ambition, to seek after things. And of course, you see this in kids the best, don't you? I love it when you talk with young kids about what they want to be when they grow up, you know, whether it's an astronaut or a pilot or something. Uh, one of our favorite family stories is when our daughter, Emmy, was three years old, and she took me aside and she said, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be a fire truck. And I said, Em, don't you mean you want to be a firefighter? And she said, no, 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 Dad. I want to be a fire truck. And so, you know, uh, I just thought I would go with the self-affirming culture that we're a part of, and I just said, Em, you can be anything you want when you grow up. There's no point in trying to argue with a three-year-old. I think she's changed her ambitions since she was three. But this is the point. We're all ambitious. We all want to seek after, strive after things. Jesus assumes that. Now, here's the second thing that Jesus says, though, about that. He says that anxiety is caused by misplaced ambition. We are ambitious, but we get anxious and we we get filled with worry when our ambitions are misplaced. That's where Jesus is going. Remember, the entire section is about worrying about your material needs. And Jesus is saying that people are so stressed out, people are so anxious because their ambitions are focused on their material needs, trying to get more and more of them, make their life more and more comfortable. But then Jesus says of his people that we are not to worry about our material needs. Now, here's the big question. Here's what we got to get at. How do you stop 
fretting, stressing, and, and worrying about all your material needs. Always what your bank account's at, how your investments are doing, and how you're going to make the rent. How do you stop fretting about all those things? Jesus' answer is redirect your ambitions. This is what Jesus says. Anxiety is cured when we redirect our ambitions to God's kingdom and righteousness. This is his point. Track this carefully. Notice in verse 33 that Jesus is calling us to seek after something. This is what he says in verse 33, that we are to seek after, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. So mark this really carefully. Look at your Bible. Note, Jesus is saying, if you're part of his kingdom, you are to seek, you are to obsess, you are to be wholly devoted, you're to pursue with all your might, you're to pursue something, but it's not the same thing that the Gentile world seeks after. Rather, he says, we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So a Christian also has a supreme quest, a chief thing we strive for, a sacred obsession. And the primary thing we abend our obsession toward is God's kingdom and his righteousness. Now we've got to explain those terms. So let's just break, that, break both of those down. What do we mean by the kingdom of God? That refers to the reign of God, that Jesus is our king, that we are now citizens in his kingdom. To, to be obsessed, to pursue the kingdom then, is to say, Jesus, I want all of my life, every part of it, to come under your kingdom reign and rule. It's like a, a lens, or maybe like glasses you see through. You have many other ambitions for your career, for your family, but every single one of them you see through the lens of God's kingdom. You're saying, Jesus, I want your kingdom and your reign to color absolutely everything. Everything that I do, I want you to be the king. And I, I want to help extend your kingdom. I want to be a peacemaker in my, in my extended family. I, I want to help and be humble in my job and help build other people up. You're extending the kingdom. So your whole life is about Jesus' kingship, and you're always about how can I see his kingdom come more in my life and in those around me. That's your obsession. And then this word righteousness as well. It simply means right living. To, to seek after God's righteousness is to say, I want to live my whole life in a way that conforms to Jesus' kingship. Jesus has ways he wants his people to live. And if you're obsessing about that, if you're ambitious about that, you're saying, I want every single part of my life to match up with him. So right here, Jesus is in the middle of his sermon, his most famous sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 to 7. So if you want to know how to live, he's already gone through that. He keeps going through it from chapter 5 to chapter 7. Do you want to know if you're a true Christian and not just a religious person? Go back to the very beginning of the sermon where Jesus says these words. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst. See, there's a big difference between just a religious person and somebody who's truly been born again of the Holy Spirit, truly is made alive, and Jesus is their king. If you're a true Christian, you're hungering for something. You're thirsting. You're like, I, I have to have this, just like I have to have bread, like I have to drink. And what is it that you have to have? A life that is following Jesus' kingship, 
that is lining it all up. And then Jesus explains what he means by that. It's a life that says, I am hungry. I am thirsting for a life, for instance, that is not filled with anger. As Jesus talks about anger. Oh, I don't like that I am angry. Jesus, I want your kingship. Jesus, I want your kingship to come in and to rule and to reign in my life so that I'm more patient, I'm more compassionate, I'm more empathetic. And then Jesus will go on. He'll talk about sexuality. Jesus, I struggle with things. Maybe you're thinking, you're saying to yourself, you struggle with lust maybe in your life. You want to make sure you don't go into a relationship you know you should not be in. You're saying, Jesus, I want to be under your kingship. I hunger and thirst to live rightly before you. And Jesus goes on for other things, marital faithfulness, speaking truthfully, never being dishonest, never twisting the truth so you look better or you gain an advantage through telling a lie. You say, no, Jesus, I hunger, I thirst, I want to live rightly before you. Jesus goes on even more. You're eager to forgive when people wrong you and you show love to your enemies. So we said a lot all there. Let's put all this together. Jesus assumes that everyone is hardwired for ambition. The entire Gentile, the non-Christian world, is using all those ambitions, they're pouring them into this life on this earth to build up our material needs, to build up our lives here on this earth. Jesus is saying, with that comes a lot of anxiety. If that's your focus, and if you want to be free of it, you need to redirect it, and you need to make Jesus' kingship come and be placed over all of that. Again, it's not that you don't have ambitions for career or for family or for other things, but it's just that now Jesus' kingship is the most important thing. You seek first the kingdom. You can seek other things, second, third, fourth, but you seek first the kingdom, asking what does Jesus' reign look like in my life? You're seeking first his righteousness. What does it mean to live rightly in this situation and that situation? This, Jesus says, is how you cure your anxiety because now these are not the main things you're obsessing about. You're obsessing now about, Jesus, I want to live for you. And then your anxieties about all the material things, they begin to fall away because it's not the main thing that you're living for. All right, that's a lot of Jesus, a lot of teaching there, but I want us to get that main point crystal clear in our minds because all of us just quickly default to worrying and being anxious again. So Jesus is a gracious master. He doesn't just leave it at that, just tell us what to do. Jesus also gives us reasons why we should follow him, and they're good, good reasons. Because Jesus is a good, good master. So let's listen to our good master now as he goes even further to convince us that we should redirect our ambition. Jesus now backs up his thesis with three reasons why we should follow what he says. Here's the first one. Redirect your ambitions, the main point, here's reason number one, because, this is the negative, a Christian does not live like a pagan or like a Gentile. Again, that's not a positive or negative word, just a statement. A Christian does not live, we could say, like a non-Christian. We live in a different way because we have a new master. This is Jesus' first thing he wants to convince us of. So let's think then, on the opposite side, how does the non-Christian world live when it thinks about material things in particular? I'd say most people fall into one of at least three categories. The average person here in Victoria believes in God, but 
They would believe that the God who exists in the universe is not really involved in your life, in the everyday stuff. He's certainly never going to tell you what to do with your sexuality or with, all, with your money or things like that. He, he created the world, but like a, like a clockmaker, he made it all, he wound it up, and he's just kind of letting it go now, and, and you just get to kind of live your life, and he, he's not really involved. So the average person believes in an impersonal God. Then, of course, there are many people who do not believe in God at all. They believe in what we could say is an impersonal universe. So not an impersonal God, but an impersonal universe where, of course, everything that exists is all here because of a random act of chance and everything kind of went along, but there is no guiding hand. There is no spirit world. This universe is all there is, and it is impersonal. The universe does not care about your financial state, and this is the universe you live in. The third type of person would believe in an impersonal force of some kind that controls life. Everybody who follows any type of new age philosophy. So in other words, they believe in some sort of fate. And in our society, that fate is forces that are kind of above and beyond us, forces that control our lives. So the alignment of the stars, the energy of the universe, crystals, your zodiac, the month you were born. And so people follow their horoscope saying, okay, my, my life is controlled by the stars and by my zodiac sign, so I need to tap in to f- try to figure out what's being controlled in my life. So I think those are the three things, an impersonal God, an impersonal universe, or impersonal forces. And all three of those things have a common denominator when it comes to worry about material things. Here's the common denominator. It's to quote the band Green Day, whom I quoted a few weeks ago on Psalm 23, and their most famous song, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, where they sing, I walk alone. I walk alone. This is the common denominator. At the end of the day, everybody walks alone. If you believe there's an impersonal God or an impersonal universe or impersonal forces, you are alone. You've got to figure out life on your own. Now, now follow this. It makes sense then why there's so much anxiety. If you have to walk alone, it depends upon you. You can't appeal to higher powers. You cannot manipulate the stars. You cannot deal with any of this, and so you must figure it out. So a great burden has now fallen upon your shoulders because you walk alone and you've got to figure out your own life and all your material needs. That produces, obviously, anxiety because you've got to deal with it yourself. If there is no almighty God, if there is no invisible hand guiding things in your life, you walk alone. So what Jesus is trying to convince us of here first is to simply expose the shallow ambitions of this world. And since the average person is entirely preoccupied with material things, this creates a level of anxiety. But Jesus is saying to us, listen, if you're part of my people, If you're part of my kingdom, you don't walk alone. And so I don't want you to live like the non-Christian world around you. You're part of a new kingdom. You've got a new king. And so this is not you anymore. So I don't, this is just the first point. It's a negative one. I don't want you to live like this. What a good master, isn't he? Jesus is saying, I don't want you to have to have all this anxiety in your life, all this stress. I don't want you to have to have that. And now he's going to go on to explain why we don't have to have that. But already, aren't you feeling like, oh, Jesus, you are a good master. He doesn't want us to have to face that. 
Here's the second reason, building on the first. In the second place, redirect your ambitions because the Father knows what you need. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Here's what Jesus says. For the Gentiles seek after, they obsess after all these things, material things, and your heavenly Father knows. He knows that you need them all. He knows that you need them all. This is such good news for anyone who gives their life to Jesus Christ. You are now brought out of this old system. You're adopted into God's family. God is now, there is an invisible hand in your life. There is direction. You no longer walk alone. That is such good news for you. But I want you to notice very carefully, again, never miss a word of what Jesus says. Notice he does not say that the Gentiles seek after all these things and God knows that you need them all. That would actually be okay. It's not that it would be false. It would be okay because we could say, okay, the great creator overall, the almighty, he knows that I need them and so surely he will provide them. That would be good news. But no, Jesus says, your heavenly father When you become a Christian, the great creator of all things, the almighty force of the entire universe, the being above all beings, becomes your own heavenly Father. Not just God, distant and removed and powerful. He is God, he is powerful, but now he is close to you. He is like a father. You are adopted into his family. You are his own son or his own daughter. And this is what he's saying now. The father knows that you need all of these things. That sentence alone, that should cure your anxiety. You think, I don't have to live like the pagan world does. Why? Why do I not have to live like that? Because I have a father in heaven who knows my material needs. See, the reason why we worry so much is because we do not know how we are going to meet all of our material needs. We do not know where we will get a job. We do not always know where the money will come from. We do not know how we're going to pay the rent. But the Father, He knows. Just think on an everyday level. Any child who grows up in what we're going to assume for the sake of this illustration is a good and loving home feels secure. Kids don't stress about jobs. Kids don't stress about rent. You don't see kids sitting around going, oh man, how are we going to make the rent this month if they're in a a loving and secure family? Kids don't sit around and and say to themselves, oh man, now that I've got a little sister, I don't know how I'm going to get all my school supplies and my clothes for fall. I guess I better, I'm going to work on this all the time. I'm going to stress about this, fret about this, worry about this. I have got to figure out how I'm going to get my school supplies. Kids don't do that. And why don't kids from loving and secure environments, why don't they do that? Easy answer. They just know that their parents are going to provide for them. They often have no idea. Kids have no idea what parents do to provide for them. They have no idea the stresses parents face 
That's great. They're kids, right? This is what we want for our children. We want our children to be worry-free, to be anxiety-free. If I, one of my kids was sitting there totally stressed out all the time, saying, Dad, I, don't, I just don't even know how we're going to make it anymore. I'm so stressed about money right now. I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's no concern of yours. You work hard at school, have fun with your friends, play with your siblings, enjoy your childhood. I don't want you to have any anxiety. I do not want you to have any stress. That's my job to take care of that. In the same way, you and I have a heavenly Father. He knows what you need. He doesn't want his kids, his sons and daughters in his kingdom to be worrying and fretting. Again, what a good master. What a good king Jesus is, isn't he? This is what he wants for his children. This is what the heavenly father wants for his children. He says, I want you to go out. I want you to be ambitious for things. But I don't want you to have to worry about all this stuff that the whole world's chasing after. That's not your concern. I'm the father. I know what you need. Oh, just let the burden just come off of you. Let the stress just fall away. We don't need to stress about all that for the heaven, our heavenly father knows that we need them. That sentence is enough. We could just end right here. That would be enough to free us from anxiety over material things. But Jesus being the gracious king that he is just adds even another layer to this. He says, I don't want you living like the non-Christian world does. You don't have to do that. The Heavenly Father knows what you need, but here's now the third thing. Redirect your ambitions because the Father will not, he doesn't just know what you need, the Father will provide for your needs as you seek his kingdom above all things. Verse 33 again, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's the promise now. And all these things, that is all these material needs that you have, notice, not luxuries, needs, any needs that you have, they will be added to you as well. What a promise. <laughs> what freedom from anxiety. It's not just that the Father knows what you need. The Father will also provide, and that is a promise. That's not just a, well, you hope it's going to happen. That is a promise. This is what frees us then to redirect our ambitions to say, all right, now I can redirect my ambitions. How do I live for Jesus in everything? How do I live well for him? I can put all of my focus on that without having to worry about the material things because the Father has said to us, I know what you need, and as you seek me above all things, I'll just take care of all that for you like any good father does for his children. So that's how Jesus is convincing us. What a good master. Putting all that together then, as a Christian, you may have many ambitions in life, but your supreme ambition, the ambition of all ambitions, should be to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you can do this because you don't have to spend all your time fretting and worrying about all the material things because we are free. We don't have to waste all that energy and all that because our Heavenly Father knows that we need them. And if we make His kingdom and righteousness the supreme ambition of our life, He says He promises to provide all those things as well. So let's just check our hearts right now. Because notice it says we are to seek first His kingdom. 
are we doing that? Here's three kind of quick diagnostic questions to kind of just let's apply this for a moment. The first one is this, what is the supreme ambition of my life? Ask yourself that. What's the first, the highest thing that you are seeking after? Highest thing. What is it that drives you? What makes you tick? If I were to ask other people about your life, I said, what's at the very heart and the core of that person's life? I'm sure they would say, well, yeah, career is important to them. They, they enjoy doing this hobby. They love their family. I'd say, what's right at the center? Is there anything at the center that affects absolutely everything else? Would people say, oh, yes, oh, yeah. When you put it like that, Jesus matters a lot to that person. Their, their faith, their religion, if they're you know, out in the world, their religion really matters to them. That's the center of who they are. What is the supreme ambition of your life? Is it to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Diagnostic question number two, ask yourself this. When I am faced with difficulties, do I react like just a secular person does or like a Christian? I know we don't get this perfect all the time, but just look at the general tone of your life. For instance, when money is short, do you look to the Father with childlike trust, kneeling before Him and just saying, I trust you with my physical needs, or does anxiety consume you and you've got to pursue those things with all of your might? Or a third diagnostic question. Do I strive to see my Christian faith worked out in every area of my life? Again, it's just the seek first thing, right? Is this something that drives your life? Does it affect everything in your life? Again, this is one of the ways you can tell if you're truly a Christian or if you've just got a lot of kind of religion in your life. Because if you're a religious person, then religion always kind of has its segment, maybe Sunday morning, uh, maybe pray before meals or something like that. But other than that, you never think about it. It really doesn't affect anything else. That's religion. That's not true Christianity. To follow Jesus, to truly be a Christian means Jesus comes into everything, the big things, the small things, you want his kingdom and his, the right living that he calls you, you want it to be through absolutely everything. One of the signs that you truly are born again is you're trying to work that out in every area of your life. I'm not asking if you've got it perfect. That's not what we're asking. I'm just asking, are you always thinking about how do I love Jesus more? How do I serve him? How does my life become more rightly aligned? If you do, then rejoice. That's one sign that you truly are born again. So, those are Jesus' three reasons to convince us that we don't have to be people that worry and are stressed out and are filled with anxiety all the time. We can be ambitious for the sake of Christ. So, let's wrap all this up now. Let me give you three areas to pursue ambition, to be ambitious, to obsess, to give everything you have to within seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Three areas. Here's the first one. Be ambitious in life. How's that for broad? <laughs> I thought about trying to be more specific, and I thought, you know what? Here, here's my prayer right now, and what I was praying this morning, what I'm praying would happen right now. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about in your life? Maybe it's, he's already begun to speak to you as we've been talking. But when you just look at your whole life, what can you do for Christ with the gifts, with the abilities, with everything that he's given you? How can you serve other people? How can you see uh, our city made a better place? How can you use your life for his purposes? I'm not saying you have to become a missionary to some far off country. You can do that. That's great. But with your gifts, if you're an engineer, a teacher, a doctor, you're a frontline worker, whatever you are, 
how could you use your life in big ways, small ways? How can you be ambitious and seek first his kingdom? One great example or a quote I want to give to you, it is from the world of missions, comes from 1790 when the man William Carey, many of you probably know his name, he was very frustrated by the church's lack of concern for global missions. And so he proposed the formation of a new society that would be able to take the the gospel to the ends of the earth. And William Carey has this famous quote that you don't have to put it to missions, but you can put it to anything in your life. He said, expect great things from God, Attempt great things for God. What a great quote. Wherever you're at in life, expect that God will do great things, and because you know God is working, you go out and you attempt great things. Now, don't, don't, don't blow that up to be something huge as if we have to do everything and move to the far reaches of the earth. And a great thing for God may be for you to quietly work behind the scenes serving the elderly in a care home somewhere where no one knows your name, no one sees what you do, that's a great thing for God. It could be something like starting a whole new business. It could be starting a a, a world mission society. It could be any of those things. But when the Spirit begins to speak to your heart, how could you seek first his kingdom, attempting great things for God? Listen to these words from Dave Harvey. He says, we need an ambition that won't rest until more people are reached, more churches planted, more marriages helped, more art created, more enterprises started, more disciples made. So desire great things. Dream big dreams. Get out there and get to work. You see what he's saying? Christians are to be ambitious. Look at Paul. He says, it is my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. Wow, that was a big ambition. What's your ambition? It might not be like Paul's exactly, but what is your ambition to use your life for Christ? Let the Spirit just speak to you right now. Here's the second area I'm going to call you to be ambitious in. Be ambitious for your family. For your family. Let me say a few words to those of you that are single right now. Maybe you're young and single, maybe you're older and single, uh, but let's assume for this illustration that one day you would like to be married, maybe you'd like to be married very soon. Let's just talk about this ambition as far as getting married and raising a family goes. And young people, I'm pleading with you to hear me on this because this is some of the most important things you may hear that will affect absolutely everything in your life. Make Matthew 6.33, the verse about seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, make Matthew 6.33 the chief determining factor in who you date and who you eventually marry. Make Matthew 6.33 the definition of who you date and who you marry. You know what I'm trying to say with this? I'm trying to emphasize to you that if you want to live for Jesus, you don't choose a spouse like the world does. Of course, the world's looking for somebody you can love, and that's great, and be together with for your life. That's great. But a Christian says there's something different here. If you want to live for Jesus, if, if that's your chief desire in life, then it's very simple logic, isn't it? You want somebody else who's perfectly aligned with you. You don't want somebody who has totally different values than you do. You want somebody who says, yes, living for Jesus, that's the center of who I am. 
You want somebody who says, what does it mean to live for Jesus? The Bible and all what Jesus says. We want to learn to obey that. We want to learn to follow that. We want to make Jesus and living for him the chief ambition of our life. You need to be rightly aligned. You need to be in sync because who you marry next to your decision for Christ, that is the most important decision you will ever make and it will affect absolutely everything. So, you know, girls, next time a guy says to you, hey, can I take you out sometime? You say, sure. Maybe you're out for dinner, socially distanced from other people. And sometime during that dinner, you just look across and you say, so you, you, you think you have a little bit of an interest in me, do you? And he'll get, feel a little bit awkward. and He'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you say, what do you think about Matthew 6.33? <laughs> I'm kidding. You don't have to do it exactly like that. You don't have to be that formal. But big picture, this is what I'm saying to, for you to do. This is the calling in the New Testament. When you are looking for a spouse, you want to find somebody who shares your value. And there is, if you're following Christ, there is no greater value than his kingdom and his righteousness. And you want a life partner who's going to line up with that. You've probably seen the joy of that when you see couples that are that way, right? Couples who both love Jesus, they're both serving him, they're fully aligned. Look at those kind of couples, follow their example, and you will have much joy in your life. Let's think about family on another level as well. Not just for single people, for those of you who are married. And maybe some of you are married, you're a Christian, and your spouse is not even a Christian. That's a whole other subject. I, don't, I hope I'm not causing you any unnecessary angst in that previous statement we were talking about there. I'm talking to single people and trying to call them to pursue that. Maybe you find yourself in a different situation. That doesn't mean that's unredeemable. But right now, in your family, how can you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in your family? How can you seek to raise your kids to know who Christ is, reading the Bible with them, talking about who God is, uh, praying with them when, whenever something difficult happens in life? You're bringing that for prayer. When something good happens, you're bringing that for praise. Just being ambitious for your family and saying, I want to see my kids, I want to see my grandkids grow up to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Be ambitious in life. Be ambitious with your family. And here's the final thing, and then we'll be done. Be ambitious for Christ's church, and if you're part of Central, particularly here at Central. Our individualistic culture, always when we think about ambitions and dreams, we automatically think just of ourselves. That's our individualistic culture. But when you read the New Testament, it is clear that if you are a Christian all through the New Testament, Christians always thought of other believers and their church. This was always something. There's no such thing in the New Testament as a Christian who was not an active member of a local church pouring out their life on behalf of their brothers and sisters in Christ. So the question then is, how can we serve one another? And we're, we're trying to figure this new world out now during covid but of course, we have our, great, our care team has been doing a great job the last six months calling many of you, just making, seeing, seeing how you're doing. We're trying to serve you by, by coming up with this new three-prong approach where how can we meet together? How can we care for one another? Let's pursue Christian community. Let's be ambitious. How can we serve one another? How can we reach out to this city of ours, this great city, so that it might come to know Jesus Christ? So, that's Jesus teaching on anxiety. I'm praying that as we've gone through this, you would begin to see, particularly today, that Christians should be the most ambitious people of all. But our ambitions are redirected. They're not exactly the same as the world. Sometimes some of them look the same, but there's something higher over all of them. 
What is higher over all of them? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you want to be freed from anxiety, take all the stress and all the, the, the seeking, the obsessing over material things. Take, take it away from that. Redirect it to saying, how can I use my life for Christ? How can I live for Christ? And the good news of Jesus' teaching is that the Father already knows what all your material needs are. But he doesn't just know. He promises that as you seek his kingdom first, he'll provide for you all those material needs as well. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for how good these words are. How this is meant to relieve us from all this anxiety, stress that we often have in our lives. Father, I pray you would enable us to apply it, to realize our new citizenship, that we are citizens of your kingdom. We are sons and daughters in your family because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Help that good news to come home to our hearts so that we would then begin to live for you and all the anxieties that we used to think about so much and fret over so much would fall away as we seek you and we live under your good fatherly hand. We thank you for all you've done for us. And Father, right now we want to rededicate ourselves to you. We want to be ambitious for your name's sake. So Lord, we're going to sing, take our lives, take them, let them be fully consecrated, Lord, to thee. So we sing this now, Lord, as our song of commitment. Each of us where we're at, Father, we want to just recommit ourselves, our whole lives, to you. And Lord, by your spirit, I pray you be speaking to specific areas of our lives right now, putting your finger on specific things by your spirit. You would reveal these to us where we need to seek you first, where we need to have right living. So Father, we commit ourselves afresh now in Jesus' name. 